Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Cub. I'm your host, comedian and diehard Cubs fan, Joe Kilgallen. This podcast is, of course, part of the House of L Podcast Network. Check out all the great podcasts on the House of L Podcast Network by our guy, Lawrence Holmes. Very excited for today's episode. On this podcast, I typically interview notable Cubs fans about who their favorite Cubs player of all time was, someone growing up or someone from the current team. There's lots of great Cubs fans over the decades, as we all know. Today's episode I'm excited for because I have former Chicago Cub, uh, two-time All-Star, host of a show on MLB Network. This guy's all over the place. That show is Intentional Talk, of course, a great show. Uh, without further ado, let's bring on World Series champion as well, the one, the only, Ryan Dempster. How are you, Demp? I'm good. I'm doing great, Joe. Good to see you, man. I want to move Aaron Judge over a little, so we just got a little bit of a room there. Yeah. You got, you got some into the fancy shop. bobbles. You got a good setup with the bobbleheads. Uh, that's pretty much par for the course for anyone who does baseball commentary remotely, like you do sometimes on Intentional Talk. You have to have the bobbleheads around you to indicate to the viewer that you like baseball. Otherwise, they would have no idea that you like baseball. Right, and I kind of mix it up a little. Like I got, I do have like the Clark Hulkamania one. I do have Bob Ross here painting a happy little tree. I got Biggie and Snoop Dogg hanging out. So, but plenty of baseball too. Yeah, I had to mix it up. I got a Richard Pryor album on my wall behind me. I do have this uh, Shohei Otani rookie card behind me. That's my way of trying to put it out into the universe that he would look good on the north side of Chicago. Just throwing that out there. I'm trying to get all the good juju out in the world. You would do and that? Gotta... You would you you would spend that money to bring him here? Um. Well, I mean, I know he's not going to be able to pitch for a while. Uh, it depends what the money is. He That poor guy, that injury. By the way, it's hard to say poor guy. But what did that injury cost him? $200 million? Probably close to it, yeah. Probably close to it. Even as a just as strictly DH, he's the best offensive bat on the market. Bellinger's probably right behind him. What do you have, 42 I, home I, runs, per, I, I would personally put him in, in, in right field and let him close games out. I was going to say that. I was going to say, can he be a reliever? Can't you have him come in to close too? Throw him Remember in the outfield Mark Potsy? In the, in the College World Series, when Cal State Fullerton won the College World Series, that's what he was doing. He was dominating middle of the lineup bat, and then he would come in and close the game out. Because you're throwing, right? So you're always throwing. You're continuously warm out there, and then there's just less stress. You're not, you're not sitting there logging a massive amount of innings and then trying to hit on top of that. Yeah, I love that plan. I, I got well, That's why I'm sitting here in this chair and not a president or general manager of another team. Well, if you keep talking about it on wildly popular podcasts like this one, word's going to get out and someone's going to scoop you up. I mean, point. 
you know some people. You, I feel like if you wanted to get into a front office, you could figure out how to get in there. This offseason, I'll take all my analytics courses. I'll, I'll have all my data and R&D department set up. I'll be ready to go. Yeah. Hey, speaking of which, though, some of the results seem to be that baseball um, and the new rule changes are a massive success. Were you a fan of them when they were put in place? Yeah. Yeah, especially the pitch timer. Um, not the biggest fan of the bigger bases, but also – Maybe it's not even that's the bigger bases, the pick over rule. I'm not a big fan of that. And I'm also just not a, a, a super big fan of the shift ban because I believe baseball is a game of adjustments. So if you're not forced to make adjustments as hitters, then, you know, like you got to learn how to go the other way. I think that's a lost art a little bit, um, you know, back control. And we see a lot of put your A swing, put your A swing, put your A swing on three pitches instead of like two strikes and having to manipulate stuff. But that being said, I loved the pitch timer. I love baseball, Joe, just like you. I could watch five hours of baseball. I have no problem with a 20-inning game. I'm all in. Absolutely. Two things. One, you got to continue beer sales. That that has to happen. I can't have it yes. stop after the eighth inning. And then, but two, it just promoted action. You know, like there's too much dead time, too much look at me in the batter's box, too much pitchers meetings and all this kind of stuff. Like, you have all your information, go play. And, and, and what did we see? We saw an uptick in offense. We saw an increase, almost a 10% increase in attendance league-wide, you know, and the games were quicker. And, and it was, it was like, it was action-packed for the first time in a long time. It didn't feel, you used to be able to get up, go to the bathroom, get a beer, a hot dog, have a conversation with somebody on the concourse, and then come back to your seat and be like, what happened? And somebody be like, nothing. Yeah, you didn't miss a thing. Yeah. I remember being at a Dodgers game. I was at a Dodgers game when Pedro Baez was pitching. And um, I had a few. And and I was screaming, you're ruining the game. You are (laughs) ruining this game. Stop it. People are turning their TVs off. Would you please stop? And I always said to people, the people who were a little bit hesitant to accept these rule changes, I'm like, they're trying to get game times back to when this sport was the sport we fell in love with as children. When I fell in yeah. love with the game, game times were about two hours, 40 minutes. They went up to 3.20, like at one point, at three hours, 15. Now they're back down to what they were when our fathers loved the game. And so I think there's no – I do agree, though, a little bit with the shift thing because I kind of like that strategy. You, you hit them where they ain't. That's the old saying. Yeah. And I don't love the extra inning thing. I think they should wait until, like, the 12th inning to throw a ghost runner out there. That's just not Yeah, me, me too. I, I, I'm in with that too. I just think that – you know, I like the the idea of not stretching it out super long, but just not having it right away. Give give, yeah. an, give an advantage. Honestly, it's a, a little bit of an advantage to the home team every time. If you look at the amount, of, I think the home team won maybe sixty percent of those games. So it should be an even matchup, but it you know it's it's not. So I yeah, I just I'm not a big fan of that. I feel like you got to earn it a little bit. Yeah, and it does make it so that you have to shape your bullpen where it's like we need strikeout guys. You always want strikeout guys, of course, but I've seen guys come in and give up three ground balls and they give up a run. And it's kind of like, that yeah. feels unfair. You know, a couple yeah. of choppy. Yeah. Totally. yeah. totally. So Ryan Dempster, you came up with the Florida Marlins. Um, before you grew up in uh, just outside of Vancouver, were you a fan of any Cubs players growing up? Were there any guys where you're like, love that dude? Yeah, I, I was because we were lucky enough to get Cubs games. Like in Gibson's British Columbia, for anybody who doesn't know where that is, it's remote. It's a tiny little town that you take a ferry to, not an island, 
but no roads that go there. So it's a 40 minute ferry ride from this, you know, West Vancouver, Horseshoe Bay area over to my town. So we didn't get, we got Blue Jay games. We got Expo games on the French channel every, every weekend. That was it. And we got Mariner games because of Cairo and we got WGN. We didn't even get Braves games. We never even got TBS. So we got WGN games. And I really loved, loved two players on the team, Sean Dunstan and Mark Grace. Nice. That was my jam. I mean, Gracie was just such a good first baseman and unbelievable hitter. And I just loved watching Sean Dunstan throw the ball across. I, I was always hoping he'd handcuff Gracie with like 97 from across the diamond. You know, like it was just an arm we didn't see a lot. You know, we had all these shortstops. Like, you know, for me growing up, it was, you know, Ripken and Ozzie Smith and, and Vizquel and all these guys. Well, they were finesse in a way. You know, they always threw a guy out by a half a step. Dunstan was all of a sudden this like, whoa, where did this come from? Like every other coach in the minor leagues or something would have turned him into a pitcher. But, you know, he just had a rocket across the can and I loved it. I loved the way he played. So those were, those were my two guys kind of like that was the transition out of the 84 team. You know, I was seven years old going into the late eighties and early nineties. And so, yeah, it was, it was a treat to watch those guys play. And those two both have been recently inducted into the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame. Together. A place where I believe you should be in too, Demp. Dunstan, I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, just a quick little conversation with him the week he was in town for his Hall of, Cubs Hall of Fame induction. And I asked him, I go, you still got that cannon? And he goes, oh, yeah, I can still throw it. <laughs> I, and then he said this, he goes, I have no idea where it's going, though, but I can still throw it. And then I asked yeah. about range, and he goes, yeah, maybe a step this way, a step that way. He was real funny about it. We were messing around, you know. Um, great, great guy. Like, really just cool. I got to see him do a question and answer thing. And, yeah, really fun guy. I never got to meet Mark Grace, but another guy that seemed like a dude that just loved baseball, a gritty guy, uh, no batting gloves. You know, yeah, there was definitely some fun players on those early, late 80s, early 90s Cubs teams. Yeah, well, and, like, Sean was one of those guys, too, where, like, you know, there was a general kind of, you know, especially as you as you were in the, you know, 70s and 80s, this kind of hard nose, right? You don't, not a lot of smiling on the field. It was game on. Here we go, competing against each other. And not that you can't do that without smiling. And Sean Dunstan was one of those guys. He had that just big exuberant smile. And it's like, wow, this guy's a, this guy's a grown man acting like a kid out there. And he's playing the game like he should be playing it. And like we all should be playing it. And so... I just, I gravitated towards that, I think, a little bit. I just loved that smile he had, you know, the energy that he had. Um, and then I got to know him afterwards when he was with the Giants as a coach. Um, and then you just sit around and, and this man loves the game of baseball. And you get to talk with him about the game. And he's always trying to help the next generation, you know. Never a get off my lawn guy. Never, well, when I played, it's always like, how can I help the next generation? Because my time's over with, you know. When we retire they just keep playing games. Like they don't go, Whoa, hold on, man. You quit. Well, we yeah. better hold on a sec. They keep going. So I just really appreciated that out of them. And I just think it's so um, special, obviously. But I also think it's well-deserved and I'm glad that he's in the Chicago Cubs hall of fame, because that means he'll be around Chicago a little bit more. He'll be around convention. He'll be around all these things that he deserves to be recognized for because he was a legend in a Cubs uniform. And the fans love him. So it'd be great to see him at more yeah. and more events. So, Ryan, you became a Chicago Cub in the 2004 season. Oh, before that, I wanted to ask. I always ask everyone this. What was your first experience at Wrigley Field? Like, right when you first walked in, and, and what did you think? Now, I know as a visiting player, 
Cubs fans, if you don't know, the Visitors Clubhouse is not exactly known as being like this shiny, sparkly thing. It's kind of, uh, it's pretty old school. I mean, it's the oldest Visitors Clubhouse in Major League Baseball. And uh, I think it's older than Fenway's because they even adjusted theirs from what I was told. It's the only Visitors Clubhouse that's above ground too. Because apparently, here's a little fun fact for everyone. The original architect was worried about digging down because like Michigan's five blocks away. He didn't want to flood the stadium. So the both the Cubs original clubhouse and the original visitors clubhouse were built above ground because they were worried about this. But uh, so yeah, Demp, what was your first time walking into Wrigley Field like? Yeah, I didn't realize that's why they didn't want to dig down. I thought it's because that's where they buried Jimmy Hoffa. But um, could be. Hey, you know, it could that be. Might I mean, be I'm it. saying I've looked around there. there. There's some there's some skeletons under there. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it was interesting. Um, you do you walk into the. Uh, the clubhouse at the time and it kind of looked like lower whacker drive a little you know like it it was not it was not nice as a visiting player you know the the showers it, it kind of felt like after post game like somebody was just spitting on you or maybe peeing on you a little bit it was not a high water pressure system um you know half the times they were cold the food was uh subpar to say the least um so you get in there and you kind of get like lulled to sleep or something or but then the minute you walked down that tunnel and then you got out to the field and you walked out. And for me, my first time there, you know, I'm, I'm starting on, on June 1st, 1998 against the, against the Cubs. Ivy's all perfectly grown in. Sammy's hitting home runs all over the place. Um, the Cubs were good. It was a packed house. Um, it was it was incredible. Like I got rocked and I remember calling my parents after the game. I told my dad, I go, I'm pitching in a Cubs uniform one day. Like this place is incredible. And just, you know, the, the passion they had for their own players. When you walk around there, I remember coming in the next day and getting there a little early going for a run and then just walking around the whole stadium and just seeing the action. I mean, and you remember this is, you know, 25 years ago. Right. And, and it, I know it's changed a lot, but the integrity of it is still the same. The, the vibrantness of it all is still the same. It's unique. There's no other ballpark in the league that's like it. Yeah, I, I love the changes around the ballpark. I, I was a little bit skeptical at first because there's some things you're like, why would they ever get rid of that Taco Bell? They should just buy yeah. that Taco Bell. That Taco Bell pays enough money for a lot of big free agent contracts. No amount of drunk yep. people there at 4 a.m., that Taco Bell's got to be breaking it in. So you, you get a little sentimental about stuff like that. But overall, that made it even more of a community around there. I think that Gallagher Way area is fantastic. They got all sorts of things going on there. You showed your uh, Clark Hogan bobblehead. They had pro, like a little pro wrestling match in Gallagher Way for, before that game. It was really cool to see. So, uh, But yeah, I remember that year 98 was special. The year before 1997, I remember going to my first bleacher game. It was uh, September of 97, so it was at the end of a pretty rough year for the Cubs. The Cubs started 1997 0-13. Rough, rough season. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough start. Yeah, I bought four bleacher tickets because my dad gave us cash, me and three of my friends. It was a total of $24, six bucks a ticket in 1997. The very next year, Sosa had 66 home runs, and the bleachers were never that cheap again. But still worth it. Still worth the price of admission, everyone. I was at a bleacher game. Uh, a few weeks ago, and it's uh, it's still a lot of fun, but it definitely goes to show you how quickly things can change. Yeah, I think that's what I love about Wrigley, too, is, you know, because I, I've been with the Cubs for so long, right? Like, nine seasons playing there. Um, I've been back now for, for 10 seasons as a special assistant role or ambassador-type role. And so I always kind of float around. Like, I've had chances to sit right behind the dugout, sit in the 1914 club, sit up, in, you know, behind home plate, 
go down the, the right field line um, kind of in section like two, whatever that is, that you got that standing room area back there. It's like two and all two. these different, yeah, and all these little great little nooks and crannies that give you a different view and a different perspective of the field. But there ain't a better seat in the house than sitting in the bleachers with ice cold beers on a hot afternoon. It's the best, man. It's absolutely the best. The energy out there is un, unparalleled to anybody else. It's it's electric. It's fun. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of really great people out there, season ticket holders that I've got to know over the years. And so it's, yeah, the bleachers at Wrigley Field, you know, I always tell people, like, they're like, hey, I'm coming to Wrigley. You know, where should I sit? Bleachers. Don't even find another seat, another game. Go sit in the bleachers because it's truly special. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. especially if you go for your first time and you're just popping yeah. into town and there's something easy about the bleachers too. If you don't mind sitting in the back a little bit, cause yeah. I, I went to a game where a few friends were like, where are you guys sitting? We're like bleachers. Just go on StubHub, grab a bleacher ticket and see if you can find some. And just meet us. You'll meet us. We'll try yeah. to hold you a seat. It's, it's, you know, that's easier than being like, well, there's nine of us and we're in section two fourteen. We're in this row and see if there's anything in the row next to us that we are in front. You know, you can't really bleachers though. It's first come first serve general admission and it's 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 easy uh you mentioned a day game i'm a night game guy i'm surprised you're a day game guy you and i both have similar skin tone and hair color you got to look out for the sun so I, I i'm more of a nighttime bleacher fan myself you know what made me a daytime fan fridays because we're Friday the only game and we're the only game in town man there's not another baseball game going around the country so it always felt kind of special and it gave me a, it did give me an appreciation i didn't love night games when i got there trust me i i liked the uh, you know, I was a man of the night. Like I like, I don't go to sleep after games. I like to go out and do stuff and tip a few cold ones back. So that was a big adjustment. But that Friday afternoon, when you're when you're done and you can go enjoy a nice dinner at Chicago Cut or wherever you're going, Joe Stone, and and everybody else is playing baseball and you've already won that day, there's not a better feeling. That does sound amazing. That's that's a pitch we should be using to potential free agents right there. You got to be in on those meetings. I feel like everything you're saying right now is like, how can you not want to play for the Chicago Cubs if you're yeah. hearing Ryan Dempster talk about being a Chicago Cub? So you signed with the team in 2004. You're with us through 2012. A lot of fun moments, a lot of big moments there. Now, I usually ask people, who's your favorite Cub? And you gave us Dunstan and Grace growing up. Awesome answers. Who was your favorite teammate? That's what we're going to dub this episode. My favorite teammate with Ryan Dempster. Favorite teammate. All right. It's probably There's tough. a lot of you. It is. It is. Like, I got great teammates, right? Like, Derek Lee, Kerry Wood, Mark DeRosa, Ted Lilly. Ted Lilly, I would probably, if I had Glendon Rush, um, you know, lot, Rush. lots of, yeah, Rush, he's awesome. Like, just one of those guys, a teammate, whatever you ask him, ask him to do. If it's start, if it's relieve, it's, there was never, it was about winning, and that's it. Um, Coy Hill, another great one. Soto, you know, I'd catch me, all these guys. And I think if I had to pick one, I probably would pick Ted Lilly. Um, and the, re the reason is I never had a teammate push me as hard as Ted did because he wanted to be better because you were better. Like, he didn't want to be the best pitcher on the team because the other pitchers weren't very good. 
he wanted to like if I threw seven shutout innings, he'd walk by after the game. Great job, Demper. I guess I got to go eight tomorrow. Like he was always trying to motivate me and motivate use my performance to motivate himself and vice versa. We we ran on the lake a thousand times together. We long tossed together. We watched each other's bullpens. We we golfed together away from the field. We had dinner and drinks together. We're still lifelong friends. Our kids know each other. And so I, I think, you know, I was so lucky to play with so many great guys. I know I'm probably leaving some guys out. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to play with Riz for, for very long, just in, in 2012. But um, lots of really, really great teammates in Chicago. But if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd go with the left-hander. I always loved Ted. Ted was the kind of guy, if you said, I'll bet you $1,000 you can't run through that brick wall. Ted's first question would be, where do I have to start from? <laughs> you know, like, can I get a running start? You know, like he just had that mentality. And I had some of my best years starting with him as a teammate. And I think a large part of that was him. You know what? I, as you said that Ted was the type of guy that if he saw you in seven, he'd want to go eight. It immediately took me back to the game after Carlos Zambrano threw the no hitter up in Milwaukee. I went to the next day. My, wife, my now wife and I drove up there, and it was Cubs-Astros in Milwaukee. A really weird thing. Fans, if you don't remember, there was a hurricane about to hit Houston. So Major League Baseball moved things around, and they gave um, it was they gave Houston home games in Milwaukee. And I remember Astros fans being pretty mad. And looking back at it, I can kind of understand why. Because we take over that ballpark. We always take over Miller Park. And, uh, and it was 90% Cubs fans. I remember we had like 25,000 Cubs fans there, which was crazy because the Brewers regularly weren't even averaging close to that, I don't think. And uh, Zimbrano threw the no-hitter the one night, and the very next day, Lily threw a one-hitter. He had a no-hitter going into the seventh. It was incredible, and um, he was in such a zone. And, yeah, that that Ted Lilly was definitely one of those guys. Uh, he was a bulldog out there. That, yeah, that's he really he was, have. man. You know, you know a funny story about the, about the Zimbrano no-hitter. This is really great. If you look at that, that's kind of when the Brewers really started to hate us as Cubs. The team did. And the reason is, is because they had that brand new ballpark, Miller Park, now American Family Insurance Field. They had never poured champagne in their locker room. And we were in their home locker room. Houston was using the visiting side, even though they were the home team. Zimbrano throws the no-hitter, and we crush him with beer and champagne after the game in the locker room. That's and awesome. They, they were pissed. I think there's still some – there's probably some people who still use that as motivation to this day. But, yeah, it was just kind of ironic that – and we didn't think about it that way. Like, we weren't – like, it wasn't intentional. We weren't like, yeah, whatever. Like, all of a sudden after the game, their head clubhouse guys, like, they're, they're going to be chapped. I was like, why? Like, and he's like, they haven't poured champagne it's the first time. Can you imagine that? The Chicago Cubs come up to Milwaukee and the first time champagne sport is because of us. Yeah. So let's just yeah, say when they, when CC clinched in, in 08, you know, they they rubbed it in a little. That felt really good for them to be able to do that to us. I bet it did because that rivalry started real friendly because they were in the American yeah. League for a long time. And when they came in, I remember going to games where it was Cubs Brewers and not much would happen between fans. Maybe a little bit of trash talk here or there. More Bears-Packers we'd get into it. But it felt like a friendly rivalry. The yeah. Cardinals-Cubs rivalry and even White Sox-Cubs, you're like, okay, there are going to be some fights if we're not careful here, you know? But then, yeah. you're right. I think it was right around 2008 because that was their first good team in a while. You guys celebrating on their field. All right, there we go. Another piece of the puzzle. I like that. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right, so Ted Lilly, favorite teammate. I like to ask this question, too. 
what was your favorite moment you witnessed of Ted Lilly? Like, what was your favorite as a, as a teammate sitting there on the bench? You saw Teddy pull this off and you're like, hell yeah, that's my boy. Oh, wow. Um, Tough question. I know it's, it's probably a lot, yeah, probably yeah. a lot of stuff. A, a lot of stuff. I think um, there was a game. I, I can't remember what it was, but I, I knew our bullpen uh, was depleted. Everyone did. And Ted went in to lose office and said, I got this today. Like, they need a break. I got this. You know, and that's a big, not a lot of guys do that and then go back it up, you know. And I think he either went eight. I think he threw a complete game after saying that. And that's like, you know, A, it came from a place of teammate. He's looking out for the guys in the bullpen. It wasn't a selfish, like, I got this. It's like, no, the bullpen needs this today. I'm going to go get it. And not only that, I'm going to go tell the manager, don't come get me. And, and I thought it was really awesome, just like, you know, that kind of attitude. You know, and I remember, like, sitting on the bench, and I was talking to D-Rug, going, Teddy better dominate today. He just told Louie's got it. You know, like, you don't want to go a buck and a third after that, you know. So it, it just shows you the power of your mind. And, like, if you talk yourself into something and into existence, you can do it. And he did that. And, um, you know, there, there was a lot of moments like that, sticking up for teammates, hitting guys if he needed to because it, somebody on the team was getting hit. Um, you know, where he could do that. Oh, and this one, and I'll, and I'll go favorite Ted Lilly moment, right? We'd take batting practice and we'd bet home runs, right? And we'd have, you know, maybe a little friendly wager that was payable over a certain period of time. So maybe we said, oh, you know, 50 bucks a home run, but it's got to get to a certain amount before we pay. So you always got room to try and get it back or bottles of wine or whatever it was. Like, if you get to 12 more home runs than me, then I owe you a case of wine. Like, we would do this. Nice. So... He's feeling really good. Wind's blowing out a million miles an hour after BP comes in. He's like, I, I, I'm going to go deep this year. Because he's, you know, he just hit seven wind-blown home runs at Wrigley in batting practice. You know, Larry throwing a little mini, Larry Rothschild throwing a mini cutter. And and Kerry Wood's like, you're never going to go deep. He's like, oh, you be careful. I'm going to go deep. And he goes, really? You don't think I'm going to? He goes, hey, dude, you go deep. I'll give you my Mercedes. Whoa. Right. And Woody had this nice, I think it was an E class, really nice Mercedes, like an E55, you know. And he's like, You go deep, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you my car. So now we're playing in Milwaukee, like a couple starts later. Woody's like in the in the clubhouse. It's early on in the game. He's just closing at the time. He's getting ready, you know, doing all his stuff, getting ready to go out to the bullpen. And he's sitting on the couch and he's just putting his cleats, tying them up, right? And the bases are loaded. And here comes the pitch, and Teddy crushes it down the right field line. And I hear Kerry stand up, and he goes, no! Like, I've never heard a teammate openly <laughs> shout for another teammate not to hit a grand slam. It was the best ever. And he was just like, and then, and the best part was, in Milwaukee, the clubhouse door is right there, right? So then a couple guys came in and poked their head, and who was yelling no? And Woody goes, I didn't want to give him my car. You know, and it was really funny. End up getting out of that, but it was hilarious. The loudness of which he said it, trans, you know, went out to the dugout, and and everybody heard it. It oh was just God. so funny. So we were talking about we were golfing the other day, and we were talking about it. It was just the best ever. That was like my favorite almost moment for Ted. He could have been driving around that nice shiny car, but instead he popped up to second. Yeah. Well, Kerry Wood did not see a ball flying into the stands. He saw his Mercedes being driven <laughs> off by Ted Lilly. <laughs> With a big smile on Ted's face. Wow. That is a fantastic story. I also want to go back to what you said where he went into Lou Pinella's office 
and said, I got this tonight. That's to me like a pitcher's version of calling their own shot to tell the manager yeah. before the game, I'm going deep. I got this. Tell the bullpen to relax. Cause you're right. Had he gone in, had he gone an inning in a third, especially with Lou Pinella as your manager, that's you're going to, you're going to hear that. I'm sure. Wow. Well, and I think after that, Lou was like, you know, well, if you tell me you're good, son, I'll let you keep going, you know, like, cause you know, it's like, there's no line. Don't lie to your manager, lie for him, you know? And so he, he didn't lie to him. He went out there and backed it up and instantly instant credibility with your manager. You know, he knows that you're a gamer and he knows that you're going to back up what you say. And, you know, I, I admired Ted for that. He, he was that way all the way to the end of his career. He just was never going to back down from anybody and always believed he was going to go out there and get you out. See, that's perfect. That was what I was. My follow-up question was going to be, what's one thing you would want Cubs fans to remember tell Ted Lilly for? And I feel like you just said it, a guy who's going to back himself up, back up what he does and go out there and work his ass off. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. You know, I still feel bad to this day that he never got a chance to start a game in 2008 playoffs because he was throwing the ball really well right then. And I know how much it meant to him. And, and he loved playing in Chicago. He loved being a Chicago Cub. He lived blocks from the field. Um, you know, he it, it meant something to him. To some guys, they play and, and it means something to their teammates and to the, you know, their jersey they're wearing. Some guys forget about the fans. For Ted, he truly understood what it meant for everybody who spent hard work and dollars to come watch a pitch. And he wanted to go out there and perform for you. Yeah, no, Ted did love the fans. I remember I drove past him. Maybe I'm wrong, but did he have a motorcycle? Uh, maybe. Maybe by a mechanic shop. There was there was a mechanic yeah. shop off of Irving Park Road, maybe a few miles mm-hmm. west of the ballpark. And I'm driving, and I look at my window. I'm like, I think that's Ted Lilly. And he was talking to someone, and I'm like, yo, Lilly. You know, just throwing you out the window. And he turned around and gave, like, the thumbs-up point. And I was like, that's Ted Lilly. That was cool. And I just, you know, I kept driving. I just said, what's up to him? Um, yeah. But you got the sense that he loved living in the neighborhood, loved being a Cub, which yeah. as a Cubs fan in a Chicago one, we really appreciate, you know? So um, thank you for being on the podcast, Demp. You gave us some great stories. You, yeah, you know what you really, I would love to one day, maybe I'll start my own or maybe you should start it. Someone should start it because I'm starting to get the feeling that these cool stories of pitchers telling their manager, no, I've got the ball tell them bullpen they could take a nap out there like these stories like that that used to be fairly common i feel like they're starting to fade away and i don't know if it's because of modern pitchers or because of modern coaching but i really do miss these stories of pitchers basically saying you know yo team get on my back i got this um i want i want more guys going eight innings and nine innings regularly i want more two now it feels like you get 200 innings and they want to shake your hand and then give you the next season off to rest your arm because you just threw 200 innings 200 innings i I hear you yeah. I remember last last year the Cubs were facing the Pirates and some young kid that was thrown for the Pirates, Ortiz, I believe his last name was. He went six innings, one hit, punched out ten, no walks, 80-something pitches. They took him out on his last start of the year. And I saw Derek Shelton at the winter meetings. He's like, yeah, we were just trying to save his arm. I was like, for what? Yeah. Like, for April 1st? Like, you're not pitching for another I, – I truly believe – that will come back to that. I do. I think it's going to come back. I hope and pray that it does because I think we're taking these m- amazing race cars and we're putting governors on them. Don't put the governor. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go. Let's see. Yeah, man. I agree 100%. Hey, we brought back the stolen base. Let's bring back uh, complete games. Heck yeah. I'm not saying they have to be Bob Gibson, but let's get, let's get, no. could the league leader have four or five at least? Could we get the Roy Thank Halliday you. complete game numbers up? 
Yeah, can we have every team in the league at least one of their pitchers throws a CG, not just like three or four guys in the league that throw one. Every one of them at some point. Push them. They're they're capable of it. Yeah, we know they got a minute. They got that dog. They got that. That's right. You know, their arms were touched by gods, most of you. So um, yeah. anyway, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking to you as always, my man. Um, where can people, where, where do you think is the best avenue for people to check you out? Besides, of course, your show on MLB Network Intentional Talk. Yeah, we're still doing stuff. We got Innings Festival coming up again this spring down in Arizona. We got back-to-back weekends, so we do. I do my off-the-mound show there with my guys. The Hemisphere will have a, a great list of music for anybody who's down there for spring training. You got to go over to the Tempe Beach Park. It's music. I mean, this upcoming, I think we have Chris Stapleton and Dave Matthews, and there's a rock weekend, a country weekend, a lot of great artists, and then we have all kinds of baseball activations and batting cages and pitching, you know, machine things. And you can do all that kind of stuff and off the mound there. So we do that, um, you know, content wise, I do some stuff on Twitter, obviously, um, Dempster 46. And then on, uh, Instagram Dempster 46, 46, um, any kind of little projects that we got going. So yeah, just trying to, to have fun and enjoy the, the great game and, and continue to, you know, try and be there for the fans. That's what it's all about. You know, I'm not sitting in this chair without, the fans right i'm probably working at a pulp mill back home in gibson's british columbia um so thank you to all the fans who tune into this and they continue to support the cubs and and be interested in what i'm doing it's awesome but you would be the funniest worker at that pup mill for thank sure. you I, aside from my know. brother travis you're right yeah <laughs> there, there you go all right thanks again everyone check out ryan dempster um definitely if you're in tempe check out innings fest i know they had foo fighters last year you're talking to jake pv you got great stories left and right so uh, check out Innings Fest, everyone. I know they have an Instagram account that I follow. So they'll give you all the updates. And before you know, we'll be playing baseball again. We got hot stove action coming. So you want to hear Demp's takes, him and Kevin Millar on um, Intentional Talk. All right. Thank you so much, bud. Really appreciate it. You got it, Joe. My pleasure, man. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.